Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't you go with me to Exodus chapter 33? Exodus 33. I'm always um, leaning in to what the Holy Spirit wants to say at any given time. And uh, I haven't come tonight to sort of bring my best message as much as I've come to bring a message that I believe the Lord is saying to us as a church family. And you're a part of that now. You're a part of the Numa family. And um, we're a church one church in multiple locations, there's a global expression to it, but we also want it to be tangible and real and local. And, um, and so the Lord's been really uh, doing something significant in our church the last 15 months. For those of you who may not be aware, we've had a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the last 15 months, we've seen many miracles, signs and wonders. Our own church in Richmond and those who were a part of the Numa family um, uh, over recent years have had a incredible encounter with the Lord of renewal. Uh, it, it's so good to have uh, Pastor Steve and Pastor Candace Alphine here from our Numa South location. And uh, just, just stand up, guys, so they know who you are. Just honor these guys. Um, and, uh, you know, God's moving so powerfully there. Wherever you go to a Numa church, it's, it's the same DNA. It's the same sense of family. It's the same moving of the Holy Spirit and sense of God. And, and, and we want you to feel a part of that and to experience that. And we know for some of you, this may be new territory. For others of you, you're hungry for it. You want it. Uh, and then for others of us, we're sort of, you know, been there, bought the T-shirt and sort of have perspectives on the move of God like, you know, we've seen it all. Can I encourage you, come in low and childlike. And just come with a hungry heart that says, God, I, I want to learn some new things. I want to grow in new ways. So Exodus 33, 12 to 18, it's an encounter between Moses and God. He's interceding. And it says in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And I'm just going to read verse 18. And Moses said, please show me your glory. I want to speak to you about something that has become very self-evident over the last 15 months for us. And that is, His presence is our priority. God's presence is the X factor. It changes everything. Everything shifts when God shows up. And over the last 15 months, Numa has seen a tangible increase in the manifest presence of God. 
uh, we've seen, we've probably recorded upwards of, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred plus miracles, signs and wonders uh, in the last 15 months. We've seen over 20 cancer patients totally healed. Uh, even without medical intervention. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen deaf ears open. We've seen crutches left at the altar. We've seen more people saved in the last 15 months uh, off the street, uh, on the street than, than, and in the house and probably what we have the previous two or three years before that. Uh, we, we've, we've been planting churches. We've seen God move in powerful ways. And I think it's important we give language to what God is already doing. So this word, in some ways, is preemptive for what God is about to do here at Newman Melbourne North, but it's also uh, defining what God is already up to uh, in our Numa family. Uh, George Otis, who is a researcher of revival, he said this, the one common denominator in every move of God is that a small group of people radically committed themselves to one thing, hosting the presence of God. I want to tell you that every move of God throughout history always began with just a few. Just a few people who are hungry. Just a few people who are committed to one thing. We live in a day and age where there are many distractions, many things, and particularly in church life, many things that we can get preoccupied by. If there is one thing we need to be defined by at Numa Church, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God. There are other things. Obviously, God's Word is our foundation. Prayer fuels power. All of these things. But at the end of the day, all of these things have got to lead us into a deepening intimacy with the presence of God. I think it grieves the Father's heart when the bride is distracted from the bridegroom. And if we're going to prioritize the presence of God, we've got to deprioritize ourselves which might actually mean that we need to repent of some things. We need to relearn some things. Repentance is not a dirty word. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Repentance is a, a change of mind. It, it's, we used to think this way and operate this way, but we encounter God. We encounter His truth, and there is a repentance that goes on in our minds and hearts, and we're transformed by the renewal of our thinking as we begin to think God's thoughts. And as we think God's thoughts, His thoughts become our thoughts, and then His ways become our ways. I think for too long, the Western church has often been made in the image of us rather than in the image of God. And we've sort of built patterns and done things that are all about what we can control and what we can manage. And, 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 and I think we've done ourselves a disservice. You read in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, 120 encountered the presence of God. You fast forward to the end of the book in Revelation, you read about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and how it's marked by the presence of God. And so where we began as the church in the upper room is where we're going to end up in the upper room. We've got to make sure that in between times, we're keeping the priority, the main priority, and that is hosting the presence of God. And we have such a privilege and one of the defining verses of the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount, let alone us as a church, is Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means you and I are called to co-labor, to pray, to partner with the intention of, of Jesus and, and the Godhead to see the kingdom of heaven established on earth. 
You're going to hear from Pastor Glenn and Pastor Lynn the themes of kingdom truth and the gospel of the kingdom, kingdom power coming through, the rule and reign, the governing influence of who Jesus is in our lives and in the surrounding regions. And so I would pray that what was said of Ezekiel's vision as he described the city of God, he says in Ezekiel 48, 35, Jehovah Shammah. What does that mean? It means the Lord is there. May it be said of Newman, Melbourne North, when people encounter us, when they visit, when we meet them in our workplaces, when they meet us in our neighborhoods, they look at us and say, the Lord is there. The Lord is with them. The Lord is in their midst. May it not be simply just said of us that we are just nice, good people because the goal of Christianity is not to be just nice, good citizens. The goal of Christianity is to become more like Jesus. It's to actually mature into the fullness of who He is, the full measure and stature, and to turn the world upside down, right side up. You can't do that just with good intentions. You've got to carry and host the presence of God in your life if that is going to become a reality. So what would it look like if we prioritize God's presence over ourselves? Well, I think one of the things we need to understand is the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. The omnipresence of God is that presence that is universally accessible to all of us. We read about the omnipresence as well as the manifest presence of God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The presence of God, the Spirit of God was active in creation. The uncaused God caused matter to come into reality. The omnipresence of God is universally accessible to everyone every single one of us. And when Adam sinned in Genesis 3 and tried to hide from the presence of God, good luck with that because wherever you are, God's presence is. And wherever God's presence is, His presence is. And so you can't escape the omnipresence of God because God is everywhere present. There can be no place where God isn't. Otherwise, He ceases to be God. Psalm 139.7 speaks of the revelation of David concerning this when he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The Apostle Paul had a revelation of the omnipresence of God. In Acts 17, 28, he says, For in Him, in His presence, we live and we move and we have our very being. There is a fundamental difference, though, between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God is the tangible nearness of God. It's the transformational reality of God. When we read passages like 2 Corinthians 3.18, that as we behold His glory, we are conformed to the same image, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. There's something about encountering the manifest, tangible presence of God that transforms something inside of us. We are not just a people of the omnipresence. We are a people in pursuit of the manifest presence. And so it's important we understand that if that's going to be true, we've got a role to play in that. 
If the presence of God is so universally accessible, why do so few people actually experience the manifest presence of God? Many believers that are in this room would cognitively acknowledge the omnipresence of God, but may not have truly encountered or very few times the manifest presence of God. I love what Frank Hartley says. He says, the reason the church is in crises today is because we have settled for omnipresence rather than the manifest presence of God. I think so few people actually experience the manifest presence of God is because so few of us are in pursuit of Him. We're in pursuit of all sorts of other things other than Him. I want to tell you today, God wants to reveal Himself to you more than you want to encounter Him. God wants to speak to you today even more than you want to hear from Him. I take great courage in the fact that God wants me to experience more of Him than even I have a hunger for. He wants me to hear His voice. He's knocking at the door in my heart. The issue is, am I willing to open that door to Him? Am I willing to respond to His longing? You will never possess what you don't pursue. If you want to get after something in life, if you've got a goal, if, if, if you've got a dream, if, if you've got a, a person that you want to get to know better, how many of us know you've got to be in pursuit of? You, you can't just sort of, you know, sit around passively and, and hope that somehow they notice. No, you've got to take the initiative. You've got to introduce yourself. Maybe ask them out on a date. You, you've got to do something. It's the same with the presence of God. God is not a doctrine to be studied alone. He is a person to be pursued. He's a person to be experienced. I think sadly too many of us are like Jacob, who in Genesis 28, 16 he said, surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't know it. He'd been in the presence of God all along, but he was unaware. Let me tell you, you can live, you can call yourself a Christian, and you can live the Christian life, but be totally unaware of the presence of God at work in your life. What he wants to do, where he wants to lead you. Acknowledging and experiencing God are two different things. You can have one without the other. And often we think that the gap between us and God is so great. It's such a canyon away from us that it is impossible. But I want to tell you, pursuing God is not about simply closing the gap on some cosmic spatial distance. It's actually about cultivating an intentional awareness of His presence in your life. It's about living morning, noon, and night with a link up, a, a download, a connection, a posture of your heart towards Jesus. It's about understanding church and Christianity and the presence of God isn't just what we do when we gather here on a Sunday. But 24-7, even on Monday morning, when you wake up and instead of saying, good morning, Lord, you say, good Lord, it's Monday morning. Even then, the presence of God wants to minister to you and encourage you and to help you. We've got to be intentional pursuers of God's presence and His love for us in our lives everywhere we go 24 Four, seven. 
This is why I love King David so much. He was a man after God's own heart. And when we read about that phrase, after my own heart, we think, well, he must be perfect. But Henry Snow, you study the life of David. He was far from perfect. In fact, he was a very naughty boy. And there were some things that were a bit out of place. And yet God still uh, called him a man after his heart. Why? Because when God knocked on the door of his heart and when there was this longing in God's heart to connect with David, David responded and reciprocated to the heart of God. I tell you, you can get a whole lot wrong, but if you've got a repentant, honest heart that is falling towards God, there is a lot that God will do for you. All of us have got stuff. All of us have got weaknesses. All of us have got testimonies and stories of brokenness and pain. And yet if we just keep stumbling upon Him and we keep falling upon His grace and we just keep pursuing Him, there is nothing that God will withhold from the person that is intentionally in pursuit of Him. Psalm 27, 8, David said, you have said, seek my face. And this was his response. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Can we as a family develop the habit of spiritual response to the knocking on the door of our hearts, to the longing of the Father to have intimacy with us? Spiritual receptivity must be cultivated. God wants you and I to experience Him. You think about when two people fall in love, it's not just because they're in close proximity to each other. How many of us know we work with a whole lot of people, we're in close proximity to each other. But, but people who fall in love pursue each other in such a way, they experience each other's personality in such a way that the barriers that divide them, bit by bit, just come down and fall away until they are so united in, in, in spirit, in soul, and in body. And, and those sorts of metaphors and ideas run right throughout the Bible, particularly the Song of Solomon, which is essentially not just about a husband and a wife relationship. It's about our relationship with the Father and the Father's love for us and the bride's love for the bridegroom and the bridegroom's love for the bride, which is a picture of the church and Jesus. And so we are called in to draw near to God is to pursue Him in such a way and He pursue us that the barriers between us fall away until we are united, spirit, soul, and body. This is what it means to be in love with Jesus. And the reason that God invites us to draw near is, is obviously because He loves us and wants relationship with us, but it's because of this fundamental truth. God desires a dwelling place for His presence on earth. People say, why the church? Well, the church was birthed as the dwelling place of God's presence amongst His people on the earth. Saved, redeemed, called out of darkness, called out of sin, into light to be the people of God to represent him as Israel was called to be a witness and a representative of God in the earth so too the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a witness and a representation of the glory of God and and the purity and the life and the power and the life of who God is we are called to be the dwelling place of God's presence on earth that's why the devil's working so hard to get the church off center, to get the church distracted by other secondary things. We've got to get our focus back onto what this is all about. 
I mean, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.22, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you read Genesis 1 through to Revelation 22, there is this meta-narrative theme that God is here and He is looking for a person and a place to dwell with. Why did He pursue Noah? Why did He pursue Abraham? Why did He pursue Moses? Why David? Why? Because He's looking for a person to dwell with. And when he finds that person, when he finds that group of people who are sold out for him and hungry for him and pursuing him, there is nothing he will withhold from the person that is after his heart. And so this truth has got to be lived out in our lives. If God dwelling among us is his desire, God's presence dwelling with us must be our goal. I don't want us just to show up, go through the motions, oh, that was nice today, wasn't it, and leave. I want us to come in with a sense of awe and wonder, like God's here. And then like He's really here, like He showed up today. Well, He's always here. It's just that we've been cultivating our sensitivity, our awareness, and how we live our lives and how we we guard our hearts and how we treat each other and how we honor each other. All of these things play into how we host the presence of God. It's not just about the intensity of our worship. In fact, you're going to discover in a moment that the more that God's presence increases, the less striving and straining you and I have to do because His presence comes with rest. His presence comes with peace. And as long as you guard your peace, you'll guard the presence of God. And how many know our peace is under attack today? The enemy wants to try and steal your peace, but the Prince of Peace is with you. The Prince of Peace lives inside of you. And so I think if there was anyone in the Bible that sort of understood what it meant to be a a pursuer, a prioritizer of the presence of God, it was Moses. Moses knew that what set Israel and his life apart from everyone else was God's manifest presence dwelling among them. In verse 16, he says this, Is this helping anyone today? I'm not boring you yet. Not not time for pizza yet. Uh, Verse 16, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Now we need to understand something about Exodus 33. Exodus 33 amazingly comes after Exodus 32. And in Exodus 32, Israel has been in rebellion. They were rebellious little naughty people. And they were worshipping a golden calf as God. And Aaron's excuse was that he got all the gold, threw it into the fire, and out came a golden calf. And it just so randomly happened, and everyone started worshiping. That, that tells me where people don't have a revelation of what worship for God is, we will create our own idols and our own golden calves to worship in our lives, to idolize. Every single human on the planet is designed to be a worshiper. We're designed to worship something. If we don't worship Jesus, we'll worship celebrities. We'll worship sport, we'll worship entertainment, we'll worship money, we'll worship sex, we'll worship something. Why? Because you're created to be a worshiper. That worship is supposed to be directed to the bright morning star himself, King Jesus. And so in Exodus 32, we have rebellion. In Exodus 33, God's had enough. And he says to Moses, right, lead my people from Mount Sinai to the promised land. But I just want to let you know something. I'm not going with you. 
I'm going to send an angel with you. Now, most people would go, cool, let's go hang out with the angel. Not Israel and not Moses. This was a disastrous word because even rebellious Israel knew if God doesn't go with us, we are cactus. We are, we are in trouble because even rebellious Israel knew that God's presence is the X factor. It's the defining, distinguishing mark above everything else that gives us favour, that gives us blessing, that gives us everything we need. And most importantly, we don't want to be without the presence. This was Moses' heart. This was Moses' posture. And so he comes to God and he starts to have a face-to-face encounter to get God's attention. Have you ever, you know, um, got aside with God and just let him know where it's really at? Or am I the only sort of unholy, honest person in the room that, that has getting, gotten in God's face and said, God, you said, you prophesied this, you said this, you said that you're the healer, you said that you're the restorer, the provider, the redeemer, the saviour. Some of us step away from our relationship with God because of disappointment. That God, we thought God prophesied this and this was going to happen and it didn't happen. Can I encourage you in this season? Go dust your prophecies off. Go get in God's face again because all throughout the Bible, men and women of God got in God's face. And they say, and and God can handle it. He's the God of the universe. It's okay. He's not going to be like, oh no, please don't say that. He's going to be like, okay. And where there needs to be adjustment and correction, Ask for his loving kindness to come and adjust and adapt. You know, when I know I need adjustment and correction, I'm like, Lord, can you be kind to me? Because you know what's the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance? And when I'm a bit heavy handed, I've got to repent. I'm sorry, Lord, that's not your heart. And I don't want that to be my heart. And, 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 and so, so the Lord can handle your lament. The Lord can handle you reminding him of his covenant. And that's what Moses does. He says, you said you'd be with us. You said we're your people. So you better come with us. You better tell us who's going with us. Note that, that Moses is more concerned about who is with them than even where they're going. Or how they're going to get there. So many of us, we ask the question, well, how is that going to happen? How are we going to get there? You know what that question comes from? Control. We want to control the outcome. We want to know point A, point B, point C, point D, and then we know what's going on and it alleviates our anxiety. How many of us know God only ever gives you the next step? Even if you've got a vision of what's to come 10, 20 years down the road, he just gives you the breadcrumb for the next step. Why? Because he doesn't want you to rely upon a formula or what you can control. He wants to have a relationship with you and I. He wants to lead you, guide you. He wants you to fall in love with him more than the promise, more than the outcome, more than the promised land, more than the the promotion at work, more than the special someone that you're dreaming of. He wants to be the special someone. He wants relationship with you and I. And so we're going to be more enamored with the who that's with us than the what and the how. I'm a big believer in, 
If he said it, that settles it. We'll figure out how along the way. But if he's not in it, we're not doing it. And that's how we've even got here today. We prayed, we sought the Lord. Lots of opportunities come our way. Not all of them are from God. Some of them are good, but they're not God. God, we want to discern, where are you in this? Where are you in this? Oh, there's the breadcrumbs of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Okay, who is with us? Let's go. So from Moses' encounter, just for another couple of minutes, from Moses' encounter, we learn a few things about prioritizing the presence. Firstly, people who prioritize the presence create space to minister to the Lord. One of the things you're going to discover about Numa is we create lots of space to minister to the Lord. We love people, we care about people, but our first and primary focus is ministry under the Lord. So often we've built churches for the customer and we've forgotten the creator. We've built churches to appease people's expectations. But I've discovered something that you can never make people happy. But if you make him happy and you create a space for the presence of the Lord to be here, I've discovered God is exceptionally capable of ministering to people's needs. And, and, and so here is Moses and he goes out of the camp when he hears this disastrous word and he goes to the tent of meeting and he has a face-to-face conversation with the Lord. He literally creates space from the demands of everyday life to minister unto the Lord. The goal of our gatherings is not simply to get through the run sheet. The goal of our gatherings is is not to um, parade someone's abilities or talents. That's not the purpose of church, where we want the congregation to be the cheerleaders of the dude up the front. That's not what it's about. The goal of our gatherings in worship is to create space to honour His presence and when He comes, we follow His leadership. So sometimes the Holy Spirit will be on like, we're going to do healing now. We're going to heal people. And words of knowledge come and there's one thing about this couple, they move in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see many healings here. I mean it, bring the sick. Seriously, so many people get healed and and aren't you glad that that's not pressure for you, but that's on the Holy Spirit? No, but seriously, a covenant of healing is available through what Jesus has done on the cross. We just believe it's going to happen and it happens. Okay? Uh, so one day it could be words of knowledge, healings. Another time could be deliverance. Another time could be prophecy. Another time could be teaching. Another time could be we're just going to worship the whole time. Another time it could be, you know, we're... we're intercession whatever it may be another time it could be all of those things all at once but the goal isn't for God to simply serve us our goal is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart soul strength and mind and then out of the vertical worship relationship dynamic we can now minister to people so people who prioritize the presence of God create space What does it mean to make His presence a priority? We cease from our labors and we enter into His rest. What did God say to Moses? He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I believe one of the most critical and important things that 
the presence of God, the church of Jesus Christ can minister to the world is a posture, an example of rest. So many of us live restless rather than from rest. Rest is not the absence of activity. Rest is doing everyday activity from the overflow of His presence. Rest is not the absence of fruitfulness and intentionality. Rest is the absence of your and my control. People who have to control everything are restless souls. And I just say to people, how's that working for you? Causes great stress, causes impacts lots of things. But this crazy thing that happens, the closer you get to the Lord and you live out of the overflow of His presence, the more rest that comes and yet the more power that comes in your life and ministry. God wants to teach us to live from rest. He wants to teach us that we don't have to strive, we don't have to struggle. But we can actually find peace and rest in the midst of all sorts of turbulence happening around us. Living with His presence as our priority means we pursue God's presence over His promises. I find it fascinating in verse 15 where Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't let us go into the promised land. In other words, your presence means more to us than your promises. Do you know, I myself at times in, in seasons of my life and as I've counseled and pastored many people, most people would be really content for God's handouts. New house, new job, new this, new that, or believing for special summer handouts. But very few people are in pursuit of his face. His face speaks of the purity of who he is, his presence. And here is Moses, he's saying, God, we, we want you more than we want your promises. If God could find himself a group of people that would want him more than his promises, you watch how many of his promises materialize. He will withhold nothing from, the someone, from someone that loves him so much that he can trust to steward his presence and says, now you actually, if you can steward my presence, you can be responsible to steward my promises. I want us to be a people that are not consumed with his handouts, but to be totally in love and in awe with him. If your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want the promised land. By the way, New Testament, New Covenant, the promised land is Jesus. The promised land is not a new job, a new this, a new that. The promised land is intimacy and relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the promised land. And finally, what does it mean to make His presence our priority? It means we are relentless about experiencing more of God. This is a crazy thing that happens. Moses... He's, he's, in, he's interceding. He has a face-to-face -face encounter. He gets in God's face. He says, God, this is your covenant. We are your people. You said this. You did this. In fact, Moses changed God's mind. Have you ever thought about the fact that you could actually change his mind? I'm getting after that one. 
and he gets a window. He sees a window of opportunity and he, God says, yep, my presence is gonna go with you and you're gonna have rest. And Moses is like, the window of opportunity is open. This is what he says. Okay, show me your glory. In other words, give me a full frontal revelation of who you are. I know your presence is with us, but I, I wanna go deeper. I'm in relentless pursuit of more. The number one prerequisite, essential ingredient for what we have seen the last 15 months is hunger. One of the defining characteristics and qualities of what it means to be a part of the Numa family is that you will either get hungry or you'll leave. True story. You'll either get hungry for him and fall more in love with him or it's too much and people leave. And I go, that's okay because we don't control anyone. We want you to want it. We want you to want him. And literally, we've had people that can't handle the hunger in the room, in the presence of God in worship. They just get up and walk out and say, it's okay. Not everyone who Jesus called followed him. We're not here to try and argue and debate and convince people to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't call people to follow him. And then when they turned around, he went and chased them and said, oh, pretty please follow me. No, he said, this is where I'm going. Follow me, I'll make you something. Come on, let's go hang out. Let's go together. And people had their own choices to make. I stopped trying to convince people a long time ago. I just got so caught up, consumed and enamored with him that what God has done in me becomes like a holy magnet that draws people. And people say, I see Jesus in that person. I want that. I want that. May we be a people that are so in relentless pursuit of more of God that the world gets jealous for what we have. That the beauty of Jesus is so evident in our lives that the world says, I've never seen that before. I've never seen a group of people treat each other like that before in love. I've never seen honor like that. I've never seen care and kindness like that. I've never felt that supernatural presence like I just felt when you prayed with me on the street corner. What is that about? That's Jesus. You know how that comes? It's because you and I are in relentless pursuit of more of God. And when God finds himself a church, he finds himself someone who will pursue him at any cost, he will withhold nothing of himself from them, only that which could harm them. He said to Moses, all right, I'm gonna give you a glimpse of the backside of my glory. Literally, I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock. My glory's gonna pass by and you're gonna get a little glimpse because if you see the fullness of who I am, you're gonna combust. You're gonna explode. And God loves us too much to even withhold stuff from us that he knows will harm us. But when we pursue and when we, if he hadn't have asked for his glory, he wouldn't have even seen that glimpse. But he said, show me your glory. And scholars and commentators tell us that most probably they're at best guesstimating that when the glory of God passed by and Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock and didn't see his face but saw his back, that he saw where God had been all the way back to Genesis 1.1 and Moses was able to write the account of creation because of the revelation of where God had been. One glimpse of God's glory changes everything about your life. 
May we be a people that are relentless about experiencing more of God, that creating space for the presence of God to come and move, that that are stripping off the ornaments and the things that would compete with our pursuit of Him. And all these other things will be added unto us as we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We create a place, a gathering place for His presence and say, Holy Spirit, lead us. And as we do that, watch what God will do in your life and in our midst in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Father. If you're hungry for the Lord and something's been stirred in your heart tonight by what you've heard, I want to invite you right now, wherever you are, just lift your hands. Jesus, you're here. You're here. Your presence is here. Lord, don't let us be like Jacob that says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Make us more aware. Make us more sensitive. And God, we come to you tonight. We repent, oh God, of those times. where we've been apathetic and complacent about our pursuit of you. We've been more passionate and focused on pursuing other things. God, we ask that you would cut off of us and help us to strip off those ornaments that compete with a pursuit of you. God, we're coming to you tonight and we're saying, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't let us move from here. And we know under the new covenant, we know that every born again, spirit-filled man or woman of God has the presence of God living inside of them. So wherever we go, you are. But Lord, so often we can live our lives unaware that your spirit is with us. And I'm asking today, Holy Spirit, that you would mark us as a people of the presence. That as we preach the Word, that as we pray for the sick, that as we worship, that as we live our lives, go about our jobs, serve our families, God, that we would be marked by Your Holy Presence. I'm asking Holy Spirit that Lord Newman Melbourne North would be a gathering place of the presence of God. That this would be a place where You would dwell. That Lord, the inward longing of our hearts, we would respond to. That we wouldn't just allow you to keep knocking on the door of our heart, but we open the door to you tonight. And we say, come in and eat with us, fellowship with us, live amongst us. We are so hungry for you, Lord. So right now, just for a few moments, why don't you just begin to lift your voice and pour out your heart to the Lord pour out your affection to Him as we worship, as we sing just for a few moments before we close. Just pour out your heart to the Lord. This is your opportunity just to tell Him you love Him, to to pour out your heart, whatever is on your heart, 
whatever you want to bring to Him, whatever you want to say to Him, why don't you just lift your voice right now, pour it out to Him. Pour it out to Him. Maybe you need to say sorry. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you need to ask God for something. Whatever it is. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.